I'm John Kane, and I welcome you to Let's Talk Native on this Saturday, June 8th. While this program may not provide a path to spiritual enlightenment, we do encourage, and in some cases, start conversations. We don't do prayers, and we don't do buffalo speeches. We take a tough look at uh, history, oppression, survival. We talk about culture, the arts, identity, uh, politics, and we may step on a few toes along the way. But the real goal here is to break down what separates us. Uh, by having conversations about it. We will take on the false narratives and provide critical thinking to all that is being heaped upon us. And we do it all right here live from the Cattaraugus Territory of the Seneca Nation out of our LTN studios on the Cattaraugus Territory of the Seneca Nation. Uh, so let's talk native. 
Let me first uh, remind people that our uh, our show uh, is streaming live on Facebook Live. If you happen to catch us, uh, you know, on our audio stream on our website, which is letstalknative.com. Um, we take this um, this audio and we we put it up on uh, on a podcast after the uh, after we go live, so you can catch this show on any of your favorite podcast platforms i do encourage you to subscribe to our podcast um we take this video and we put it up on uh, our youtube channel which is let's talk native tv uh again i encourage people to subscribe to our channel so you can get notifications of uh, videos we don't just put videos of the show up we also create videos we've got a pretty good video coming up here probably uh, this this next week as well and uh those are usually usually like shorter form videos they're not like a full hour show or that kind of thing um, but these are the kind of things that, that enable us to have the conversations. And part of what we do here is to empower people with information. So they understand, you know, what is it that causes that tension? What is it that causes that, what we call, um, uh, uh, what is it? Um, dissonance, cognitive, yeah, cognitive dissonance. Why is it that we live in a, in a state of tension? Um, and how is, and I'll tell you, part of it is trying to reconcile this whole idea of being a native person in a world that is still trying to stomp it out, still trying to force us into assimilation. So that's what we do here. Look, I am the host of Let's Talk Native, and I'm assisted here in studio by Jake Proud, who is managing our audio and our sound. Um, and I want to get right into it. But one of the things that I've talked about um, many times on, on this show is racism. And look, I know the the first time you say the word racism, you get a bunch of people, oh, no, he's not dropping the race card again. Yes, I am. And I'm going to explain why. Because racism is something that we we may experience on a on a personal level. We may be confronted by, you know, some racist comment or a racist act or, you know, just a, you know, perhaps just a, an attitude or an air or a, you know, uh, you know, common action, whatever. And we, we, we experience this all. If you're a person of color, if you're a marginalized person because of your, because of your ethnicity, you're going to experience this in your life. I mean, and you can try to shelter your kids from it. It's not going to work. So we see that we, we have this interaction and why? Because racism does have a home in many, in many white people. And, and I'll explain why I say white people because racism is about this sense of superiority. And there are many white people who think that they are better than everybody else. Now, there are many people of color who don't like other people who are different from them. And there's, so that's racial bias. But racism is this notion that you are better, that you are, that you believe you are superior. That's why we have things like white supremacy, because that's been a part of the American history. But see, here's where racism goes beyond um, you know, ju- just the problems let's say racial bias has racism isn't just something that's lodged in the hearts of individuals racism gets lodged in the systems it, get lodged, it, it gets lodged in the, um, in the media, in the courts in the police it, it, get, it, it, it finds its way into the governance of whether it's state legislators or federal legislators, it, it finds its way. Look, when I and when I say the courts, it finds its way into the judges and to the lawyers, not just the ones 
the prosecutors, but the lawyers that are defending us. We have a lot to overcome because what racism is, is is it's systemic. It means that this notion of uh, of a specific people, a, a one culture calling itself the dominant culture uh, or the dominant race, is superior over all else. And that shows itself over and over and over again. And I've talked about a lot of those issues. Uh, you know, those examples of that here on the show. And I'm going to talk about a couple of them today because I want people to understand how is racism go from being lodged in the hearts of individuals and playing out right on the streets? And the, and then how does it take that next step into the the political process, the governance process, the the judicial process, all of that stuff? And, and we're going to talk about that today. I've, I've got several examples um, obviously, you know that I've talked plenty about the, uh, the 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 billion dollar battle that the Senecas are having with the with the state, and I'm going to explain how that plays into this. Not just the battle with the state, but the whole system, the arbitration uh, uh, panel, and and the and again the the racial bias that that clearly existed in the hearts of the of the arbitrators, the racial bias that exists in the in the lawyers, both the ones representing the Seneca Nation. And of course, the ones they're fighting against at the state level. I'm going to talk about how it how it it, it plays out in in the state's effort to try to shut down our commerce. But let me start let me start by revisiting my show in New York this past week. I had Lance Gums join me on my show. Lance is a the vice chair of the uh, of the board of trustees for the Shinnecock Nation. He also sits as a as a regional vice president uh, for the National Congress of the American Indian, um, which I have many problems with because they don't know how to take a hard position on much of anything. But we'll, we'll, you know, I don't even know if we'll get to that today. But but Lance is a is a very prominent native person. Uh, he's a businessman. He 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 owns a a shop on the Shenandoah, a smoke shop on the Shenandoah territory. Um, and again, he he's been he's been the tribal chairman. He's he's been um, you know cycled back around from being a part of the Shinnecock government to being you know working primarily in the private sector and working with the with NCAI now to making a return back on the the board of trustees and now the vice chair. So Lance has been around. So here's what's happening with with the Shinnecock. In, in case you missed it, <laughs> and and it's been covered. I mean, and so I I can't necessarily criticize the lack of attention. The New York Times wrote, has had an article on this. And why? Because Shinnecock is right next door. It is essentially at the gateway to the Hamptons. Now, if you're watching the show and you don't know what the Hamptons are, let me explain what the Hamptons are. The Hamptons is the playground of the rich on Long Island. It is the place where I mean it's of of where legends are made. Everybody from like Robert De Niro to, you know, famous actors, wealthy people, they've got that these billion dollar mansions out there in the Hamptons. But if you go out long, if you go out Sun, uh, you know Sunrise Highway, uh, US twenty six. Before you get to the Hamptons, you're gonna pass, the, you know, some of the land holdings of the Shinnecock. Now it was all Shinnecock land. I mean, just just to be clear, the entire um, stretch of of this billionaire's you know paradise on, on Long Island it, it has risen up from uh, from the lands of the Shinnecock. So. The Shinnecock have, have look. They've struggled. They, they've done th- some things to try to develop an economy with tobacco and you know a couple of fuel stores and that kind of stuff. And 
look, they've had to battle everybody from, you know, from racists like Michael Bloomberg. And I'll talk about Michael Bloomberg, who was the, you know, the, obviously the mayor of, of New York City, um, made a couple of runs at other political offices, um, but has railed against Native people uh, and, and, and are uh, carving out a place in the tobacco industry. You know, because, again, it's, you know, this is the one of the lines in the sand that he drew. But they, but they've carved out this out this um, this this economy, and all the while, as they've tried to do things like uh, assert their their land rights, they end up getting involved in the process of trying to get federal recognition. Because now the Shinnecock were always recognized as a people, and the state recognized them, but they did not have the quote unquote Fed Rec. Right? They didn't have that. Um, they have that now. Um, they are federally recognized, and the problem is, <laughs> this is where it gets problematic. the 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 recognition process, what it does, it recognizes um, tribes as tri or, or peoples as tribes, bands, or nations of Indians subordinate to, uh, to the laws of the United States. Now, they claim that all of us are that, even though, you know, most of us never even we didn't sign up for that crap. I mean, that's just how the federal government looks at us. They look us at us as subordinate. Again, beneath them, right? White supremacy is right there in their in the definition of what uh, federal recognition is. So there's that. So they got this federal recognition, and of course, the the first thing that concerns the rich white people of the Hamptons. Oh, I hope those damn Indians aren't going to build a casino now, are they? So. They immediately, the immediate reaction of these, of these rich people, and, and let's be clear here. We aren't talking about Republicans necessarily. We're talking about the rich, wealthy elite of New York, and actually people from all over the, the United States had these mansions in the, in the Hamptons on Long Island. And they're liberals, they're conservatives, they're entertainment, they are bankers, they're, you know, lawyers, they're, you know, and, but they're primarily white. You know, so let's let's be clear. What we're talking about here. We are talking about the rich, white, wealthy elite of of the United States that that ha- that have these, and these aren't even their first homes. These are usually their, their second homes or their their party homes. And and of course the you know the Hamptons are you know it's the it's the place of legends. I mean parties and drugs uh, and cocaine. I mean um, you know just um, it, it, it's the it's the you know again it's the stuff of legends, right? But they don't. The biggest one of the things they have a problem with is that they they've got what they consider unsavory neighbors. They've got the Shinnecock living by them. So the nerve of these Shinnecock, they actually they, they constructed a sign. They put up an electronic billboard. As you before you get to the Hamptons, before you get to this wealthy elite class of of homes and you know uh, lifestyles of the rich and famous, there's a sixty foot billboard, electronic billboard. That the Shinnecock put up as a revenue generator for their nation, they rent they rent space. That they in fact local advertising. Look, they aren't just advertising strip joints and 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 sports books. Okay, this is everybody. You know, there's all kinds of local companies that have advertised, and the rich, wealthy white people had a fit. They said they can't do that. We can't allow the Shinnecock to put an electronic billboard because that's urbanizing our our you know the mystique of of what the Hamptons are. So imagine what, I mean, this is what I'm talking about. These are, these these rich white people believe 
that they have the authority, they have the right, they have the power to tell the Seneca, the Shinnecock what they can do on, on their own land. And they only put up a sign. I mean, it, they put up a billboard. They didn't build some unsavory business. And and so what's the billboard do? The billboard doesn't change traffic patterns. It capitalizes on the pattern, on the traffic pattern that the that these rich people built. Okay, we'll, we'll put up a sign. And and it's not just, you know, it isn't an untasteful sign. I mean, look, the, the, the main, I mean, one of the, the first things you see on this billboard is the, the seal of the Shinnecock Nation. I mean, it's it's essentially um, a testament to who they are, and then and but then they they sold advertisement space on this on this uh, this hour. Now, the racism came out of all the comments you heard from these rich white people, and of course, then it goes beyond just the residents. Now it goes into the conversation that comes from the the town fathers, right? The you know the the, the wealthy representatives of the Hamptons. And then of course it gets into the state uh the state and the county, you know, the legislators. Even Lita James, who is the New York State Attorney General, black woman mind you, she's even issued a temporary restraining order and this is unprecedented. I mean, there is no place. I mean, trust me out here in Seneca territory, there's no way in hell the Senecas are going to let the state tell them what they can build on their lands. I mean, I mean I don't care how close to the throughway we, we we bulldoze like Eric White. I don't care how many billboards we want. We're not going to let we're not going to let the state dictate what we do on our lands here. So the idea that these people think they can do it is it's because of their stature in life. They think because of who they are, the money that they have, the influence they can buy with that money, that they're going to shut down the Senecas or the the Shinnecocks, I'm sorry. They're going to shut down the, the Shinnecocks in I mean, they've already built these things. I mean, one of them's completely built. The other one, they're waiting on on materials to come in, and it's it's an enterprise for them. This is a you know this is something they've built to to not only raise awareness to who they are and the fact that they're there, um, but to advertise not just their businesses, businesses in in all, in all of Long Island. But this is where that racism that that is lodged in the hearts of these of these white supremacists, and again. Racism isn't a right thing; it's a white thing. This isn't just right wing folks. These are liberals. These are you know some of the wealthiest elite liberals in the in the country that that hold have these places. And now, and look, I, I want to be clear. So far, the feedback has been almost you know uh, two to one supporting the, the Shinnecocks doing this. But you have to understand that when when a third of the population weighing in on this stuff is wealthy. They can buy a lot of influence. So it goes from being this, this notion of white supremacy lodged in the hearts of these rich people to utilizing the fact that the systemic racism will support their, their position, you know, all the way. Look, I mean, the governor's weighed in on this thing. And of course, we know the governor's had some, has had not just off color but outright racist comments made towards the Senecas and we'll we'll talk about that as we go forward but so you you see that and look and is this unique to Long Island no the Ramapo who live in that area where New Jersey and uh and New York kind of come together um just a little bit uh um west of of New York City they have land 
much of that land was contaminated by Ford Motor Company, dumping you know, all kinds of chemicals, paints, and everything else. But they also got a piece of land that was um, given to them from a from a white man who owned the property outside of a what I guess you could call a gated community, a, a, a community of of white upscale homes. Those white people lost their minds when they realized, oh, what, what, what these native guys, and of course. We also get into the, this whole notion of um, them trying to speculate on whether we're native enough, whether the Shinnecock are native enough, whether the Ramapo are native enough. But they have lost their minds, and they've tried to find them, you know, through through their town councils and, and all. They to stop them from doing anything on that land. They don't even. We don't even want people parking there. So this is again another example. One on Long Island, one one on, in Jersey near Mawa. I mean, in the, in that area, close to New York City. And again, these are the this is the bastion of of, of liberalism in New York State, right? We're not talking. This isn't Buffalo, where you know where we got Confederate flags flying around the neighborhood, um, you know, or upstate New York, where you you know uh, the redneck part of New York State. This is the New York City area for crying out loud. So that's what we see at. Again, this is where the racism goes from being in the hearts of these individuals to using the political system to assert their 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 control, their dominance, their white supremacy over Native people. But it goes beyond that. I mean, it, it isn't just you know do enough racists who have influence get to get to uh, tip the scales. It finds itself. Right within, you know, within the uh, the whole regulatory system of the state, my friend and sponsor of the show, Eric White, has been battling the state over um, his right to. He's a tobacco wholesaler, and he has transported tobacco from Seneca territory to other native territories. "Quote unquote," I, I hate to say within the state, but geographically within within the state. And some of the, the that that these are all native brands, mind you, that come from a variety of places. They're Seneca brands. They're you know they're you know different brands. Uh, King Mountains that come from Yakima territory. Um. So he's been d- distributing this as a wholesaler to native territories, into including places like Long Island, including places like um, uh, Gunyange and Akwasasne, and uh, um, you know uh, you know all over uh, all the native territories that are within you know within the geographical bounds of a uh, of uh, New York state his driver who was who was barely a 20 year old kid at the time gets stopped by uh at a you know at a way station and sees that it's got native tobacco on it no and it's got a bill of lading knows where it's going they pull it over and they seize all the tobacco not only do they seize the tobacco they find this young kid uh, one point, almost one point three million dollars. They find him. They find Eric White, and they find uh, Eric's companies. Um, this this one point three million dollars. Now, I testified in in some of these hearings, and in fact, um, the young guy Sean, um, he was clear to this stuff. They 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 threw the case out against him, but Eric Eric was still being uh, pressed for this for this thing. Now, again, this challenges the very right. Of a, of native people to conduct commerce with with other native people, we weren't selling this stuff, you know, uh, illicitly. There wasn't this wasn't smuggling. 
This was not an illicit tobacco trade. This was a Seneca-licensed wholesaler distributing native brands through his native company with native employees to another native territory. So just this past week, the um, Eric's been appealing this thing. They, you know, keep in mind they've, they've already taken the fine away from uh, from his driver, Sean. Um, and now they said, okay, we're not going to enforce it against his company, which is kind of crazy because the company is a is a corporation. I mean, you would think if New York State was going to enforce something, they would they would pick something that they have perhaps some. You know, we argue some jurisdiction over, like like a registered corporation, and, and you know, something that's not. It may not be a New York corporation, but it's a, but it's a corporation doing business in the state. But they 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 cleared that. Instead, they're holding this this one point three million dollar fine against Eric White. And and what's the crime that he committed? He he's a he's a tobacco um, wholesaler. This is is a racist act. This is the state of New York. Saying no, you native people can't do what you uh, uh, you can only do what we give you permission to do. And and we didn't we don't we haven't given you a license. Well, we didn't ask you for like, you got a Seneca Nation license. They ref- the the whole idea of refusing to recognize our distinction, our autonomy. You know, even the word sovereignty can can be thrown be thrown in there. The fact that the state won't do that. And look, don't this isn't about a treaty, right? This is about the fact is that we've never given up our rights to do any of this stuff to New York State. I mean, New York State can't make the argument that we are under their jurisdiction. So what they do is they'll prosecute somebody like Eric as a white man. They'll prosecute him as as just an American citizen. They they won't even consider the fact that he has something else that he that he is a distinct person. As, as a Seneca conducting native trade, native to native trade. And I'll tell you, when I, when I testified in court, one of the things that I got to talk about was the fact that, that I actually went to Albany, got two New York State senators to ask the question of a Republican and a, and a, and a Democrat to ask the question of, of the Cuomo administration, his tax department, what is the policy of, of New York State as it, as it relates to native to native trade? Look, we understand that you guys have now taken away the right from New York State wholesalers to um, to to basically sell tobacco products to, to Native people without New York State tax on it. Okay, that's fine. Well, but there's a whole there's a whole level of trade that is only Native brands that has nothing to do with New York State wholesalers. It's not Marlboros and Newports and Salem's and Winston. It's none of that stuff. It's Seneca's. It's King Mountain. It's Natives. It's uh, it, it's all these other. Herons, it's you know, it's all these other brands. So they asked the question. They said, "We want it in writing." They asked the the, the commissioner of taxation, "We want you to provide in writing what is the state policy on on native to native trade and native brands." The state refused to do that. It was it was over for over a year. The one senator in particular, George Maziers, pressed the, uh, the the taxation, and they kept saying, "Well, it's kind of a gray area." Well. Wait a minute, it's a gray area. How are you finding somebody $1.3 million and claiming that they were acting in clear violation of state law when you won't even say what state law is? Why? Racism. The systemic racism that allows the state to go after 
individuals, native individuals, ignoring the fact that we're native, ignoring the fact that we live on native territories that are distinct from New York State. That's that's what I'm talking about. Hey, look, we're at the bottom of the hour, so we'll take a break. We come back. I got more. I got. I mean, I want to talk about how this racism feeds into everything from mascots to missing and murdered indigenous women to 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 all this stuff and of course i want to circle back around to what um to what the senecas are going through with uh with this billion dollar battle what i call the albany billion the albany billion where the billion that's been sucked out of western uh, new york to go to albany and, and now they're pressing for another billion but we'll talk about that when we come back this is john kane this is let's talk native Thanks for coming back. I'm John Kane. This is Let's Talk Native. I want to thank our sponsors. Uh, we are sponsored by Ross and Holly John and the RJE family of businesses and Eric White and ERW Enterprises, one of which has a $1.3 million fine against them, the other which doesn't. Crazy, right? Um, and, of course, we're, we are supported by, by a couple of other um, a, a, a couple of other uh, enterprises that, uh, that help us do this on a weekly basis. And we do two shows a week. <clears throat> here out of the LTN studios in the Cataraugus Territory of Seneca Nation and uh, and I travel to New York each week and I do a show down there and that's where I had Lance Gums from the Shinnecock join me on on this signs and sovereignty uh, battle uh, that uh, that's playing out in, in Long Island <clears throat> look I, I'm grateful 
to those that support the show. I'm also grateful to those that uh, that share the show. Whether you share the, whether you, you know, frankly, whether you just listen to the show, uh, but if you share it and you and you um, uh, share it on Facebook and you share it on Twitter, um, we we post the shows up and the links to the shows on Twitter as well. Uh, whether you allow us to share the show on your Facebook group pages, it, it all helps. It helps have, helps us have this conversation. And and of course we we. <laughs> We not only have some substance to the uh, to the conversation, but we also play uh, play good music. And oftentimes, you know, that good music is coming from my buddy uh, Murray Porter. Um, he's got a new CD that's uh, that's released called Stand Up. Uh, we opened up with uh, with No More, which is almost essentially it's like the title song uh, for the for the CD. And it's it's a song about standing up and resisting. And and I'm going to circle back around to that now. <clears throat> the, the song we uh, played during the break was um, Someday I'll Never Learn. And that's related to this thing too, because we have a tendency to go through this these processes and never learn from them. And and the takeaway that we get from from our conflicts with the state oftentimes make us more complicit and more willing to 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 deal with the state. And that's what we're seeing with the Seneca Nation on um, even as they fight the state over over this revenue sharing. I mean, there it's 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 crazy that when you've got a, ra- a governor spewing racist, you know, epithets at, at you all the time, saying that you, you know, all the Senecas have a history of breaking, uh, breaking treaties, which is that by itself is a racist comment. You've got the mayor of Niagara Falls comparing the first responders in at at nine eleven with with the murderous Seventh Cavalry in the cal- and of of you know um, of the of the nineteenth century, the ones who murdered at uh you know at sand creek the ones who murdered and massacred at, at wounded knee all you know and so this is the kind of stuff we have from these these guys that that at the end of the day we still roll the roll the red carpet out to them so oh, well we're still willing to talk i mean that's what ricky armstrong said in the paper i'm still willing to negotiate with the governor at some point you gotta say you know what f you i'm I, th- enough of this stuff you know we're not going to um Go again. Someday I'll never learn. Right? <laughs> that's that's Murray's song. I don't know. It's uh, it, it. It sometimes amazes me that even as we look. I mean, look. I talked about a couple of uh, cases, like the the Yakima case, where they won a tax case in the in federal court. Doesn't happen very often because for every one that we win, we've we've usually been dragged dragged through the courts. You know, ten or ten or twenty times before we win one. And. We don't end up in these court battles. We we don't end up. I mean, Eric didn't volunteer to go in into uh, to fight this this fine. He had to fight this fine. I mean, he got dragged. You know, he, he had products stolen from him, and then he got fined one point three million dollars for on top of on top of having the the product seized. I mean, uh, they they scared the crap out of a twenty year old kid who was just driving for this guy. Almost literally had this fine assessed against him for years before they finally threw it out. I mean, talk about trying to ruin somebody's life. That's what, you know, that's what we experience as Native people in our interaction with New York State and oftentimes the federal government. Now, if you've seen what was in the news lately, the the Seneca Nation is now going into federal court over this uh, over this gaming issue. And, and here's the reason why. Because... The the Indian Gaming Regulatory Act is a law, is a federal underlying federal law that provides a path to do class three gaming. I'm not even saying that's the only way to do it. It certainly isn't, but it but it is. You know, this was a knee jerk 
reaction by uh, by Congress to pass a law after um, the Supreme Court ruled in favor of a, of a native territory out in California uh, on a gaming case. And they said, oh, we better put something in place so you know the states have some say in, in what native people do, which is racist all by itself. So they passed the Indian Gaming Regulatory Act. Now, the agency who's responsible for the enforcement and for uh, to make sure that the law is followed, not the enforcement, but the, I mean... I guess to, to say is it responsible for the enforcement. It isn't about enforcing it against the native people. It's about it's it's about enforcing it against the states because the whole idea of the Indian Gaming Regulatory Act was to make sure that native people were not taken advantage of by organized crime or the states to the extent that those are two different things. I'm not quite sure, but um, that's what Igra was. They claimed that's that's the way they pitched it to us. Oh, we're going to protect you. We're going to protect you from aggressive states. We're going to protect you from organized crime and, you know, vulture capitalists and all, all of this other stuff. Of course, most of that was crap. So here's the situation. The Senecas enter into the, into, into this compact to, um, and they, the Senecas always had this, a disposition to want to do something that was good for Western New York as they were doing gaming. The state says, well, you know what? We'll do, We'll create a revenue sharing provision in the compact where you pay us. We'll give you something of value because that's the thing. In order for revenue sharing to take place, the state has to provide something of substantial value. So the state says, well, we're going to provide you a protected market. We're going to create a, an exclusivity zone where nobody will compete against you unless the Tuscarora or the Tonawana decide to game me. Of course, we won't stop them. But that's what the state promised. And for that, the Senate says, okay, we'll, we'll pay a percentage. And that percentage will actually increase over time. It'll go from start at 18, it'll go up to 25% of the net slot drop, which is almost 40 to 50% of the, of the, of the actual revenue of the, of the slot machines. And they said, we'll do that with the sliding scale for 14 years. The scale, you know, for it'll be 18% from year one through five. It'll be 22% from five through seven. And then year eight through 14, it'll be uh, 25%. That's what's in the compact. Though 14 years passed by. And the Senate goes, well, okay, we're done. And the state says, oh, no, 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 you you, you got to keep paying us. They never raised the issue when the, uh, um, during the, the, the time for renewal. See, this thing termed out for 14 years, the compact would be renewed for another seven years after that. Now, an automatic renewal says, okay, the, the language of the compact that, you know, uh, in terms of, I mean, the, the bulk of the compact is about the games. It's about reporting. It's about, you know, how the operation works. This revenue sharing isn't necessary. It, it's not a requirement under the federal law. In fact, it's restricted under federal law. It says you can't have revenue sharing unless the, Senate, unless the state provides a substantial and quantifiable concession. So when it got renewed, there was no language that talked about renewing the revenue sharing that termed out it's just the rest the rest of the stuff that didn't have a term to it no other provision in the compact had um had a sunset to it it it's it's how the the, the game how the, the casino is 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 run so the state says well when we renewed it we assumed that we could uh we we'd still get paid now this is where it gets gets racist okay so not only do you have the 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 governor claiming all oh, the the Senecas are just breaking a deal, which they aren't. They were just following the, le- the look. They overpaid. They paid a billion and a half dollars for um, an exclusivity that 
barely existed, if it existed at all. There's no way that anybody, the state could never provide um, any kind of industry analysis to say what they gave the Senecas was worth a billion and a half dollars. They couldn't do it. I mean, and they won't do it. So this goes into arbitration. Now, the Senecas feel pretty confident because the language is what the language is. And not only does the language clearly say that the payments are for 14 years with no mention of payments beyond that, Anybody would say, well, that's ambiguous because they renewed it, you know, so, you know, uh, it must have meant, they must have meant to. They just forgot to put the language in there, which is crap. Nobody forgot. The Pataki administration who negotiated this thing in 2002 didn't forget. And the Cuomo administration, in the run up to the renewal period, 120 days before the renewal, they had every opportunity to raise any language issues or any changes that needed to happen to the compact. They knew that the language had this thing only being paid for 14 years, but they, as a strategy, said, you know what? We're not going to get Senegas to move. We got them to overpay already. We're not going to get them to move on this thing. We're going to remain silent on this thing, and then we'll try to put them into arbitration. We know that they get to put a, a, a you know, name a, an arbitrator. We get to name one. And the likelihood is the third one's going to be a white guy, too. So there's, they banked on the strategy. They bet on the strategy that if they go to arbitration, they could get the arbitrators to uh, to rule. Now, I still thought it was absurd. There, I mean, there, there was no way. I mean, because it seems to me that one of the things that the arbitration panel would have to do is, well, okay, Cuomo, you're over here. Let's look at 2002. Who negotiated this thing? You produce somebody from the Pataki administration that will admit that they somehow made a mistake, that they just forgot to put... Um, uh, language in there that would uh, c- continue the revenue sharing past the 14 years. You produce that guy. And of course they didn't. And these arbitrators never said, okay, so why didn't you raise the issue in the run-up to the renewal then? Well, it's obvious. The, 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 state, didn't, the state didn't want to open up that can of worms because they knew the Senecas w- wouldn't agree to it. The Senecas had overpaid. They had already had disputes over the fact that the, that the state breached the revenue sharing agreement by putting slot machines in all the racetracks right within the exclusivity zone so what what the arbitrators the the two that ruled against the senecas what they actually said is well of course it's got to be the payments have to continue because if they didn't continue then the senecas would be getting something for nothing but wait a second you didn't evaluate evaluate what the state was providing to the senecas you can't say that the Senecas would be getting something from us. What's that something? They didn't go through this arbitration hearing to evaluate what it, what this exclusivity that the state was providing. They just said, oh, well, they provided something. They provided this exclusivity, so the Senecas clearly have to have to pay for it. Well, it, it's been reduced almost uh, to be... It's actually detrimental to the Senecas to pay. I mean, there there is no exclusivity that that they could buy that benefits their comp- the, the the operation of the casinos. So <clears throat> these white men on the on this arbitration panel could automatically assume that the state was providing them something of substantial value, even though that was never entered into the arbitration. So this is that bias. This is where the systemic bias, the systemic racism that comes. This was and this wasn't even court. This is arbitration. So so now where where does that leave? Uh, well, so the Senate is saying, okay, look, you may have ruled that way, but now we have another problem. Because regardless of the compact, 
we have a problem with the underlying federal law. For for one thing, you just these two white men in the arbitration panel just rewrote the compact. And so now you don't have a compact where two parties agree. Now you have a provision in a compact where one party says one thing and one party says another. <laughs> and the one party who says another, the one party who says payments end, they're more supported by the by the language of the compact. But now now you got two white men on an arbitration panel saying, "Yeah, but we're we're saying it doesn't mean that." So what you're saying is what we agreed to isn't what is in the compact. So that's that's a fundamentally changing the compact. So the Interior Department, as I said earlier, is supposed to be the agency charged to make sure that <clears throat> changes in a compact are reviewed and that things like revenue sharing are consistent with the laws, with, with the rules of revenue sharing. Because to be clear, states are not entitled to to a cut of gaming native gaming they they can't be paid for for agreeing to a compact they can't be paid for what games they allow the senecas to do none of that stuff they they, they can't be paid for that what they can be paid for is if they provide something of value not the the standard right to do gaming the state's not providing that the state has an opportunity to be involved in the regulatory system, which is problematic, but they don't have the right to to get paid for a compact. But that's what it's been reduced to. So the Interior Department says, you know, we don't really want to review this thing. Uh, if we if we only review it because the Seneca's asked to do it and the state doesn't agree for, to a review, then you know we, we may be opening up a can of worms. So. The states, so Seneca's are going to force the the um, force it in, in a federal court. But think about that: the agency involved with the enforcement of this federal law is saying if a violation is reported, um, we're not going to investigate unless the unless the violator wants us to. So that's like saying, yeah, there was a murder, and we think we know who did it, but if that guy who think we think committed the murder doesn't want us to investigate we're not going to investigate i mean you're not going to investigate the violator of the of the crime you're not going to you're not going to investigate the 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 violation unless the the suspect agrees to it I and mean, that's absurd no it's racist so what i come back to after all of this conversation about what eric white has gone through what sean snyder went through what the Shinnecock are going through, what the Ramapo are going through, what the Senecas are going through is, why are we playing their freaking game? Someday I'll never learn, right? That's why I come, come back to Murray Porter. Why do we play this game? Why aren't we sticking to our guns? And look, when they drag us into the courts, they're probably going to win. Why? Because they're white people. And, and to the extent a black person sits as a judge, or a prosecutor or anything else. It's the white system. It's the systemically racist system that they're operating. So when we see native people running off to run for Congress or running for you know governor or running for state legislatures or whatever else, you're you're saying put me put me in, coach. <laughs> let, let me be a part of the ruling class. You're not going to change the ruling class. You're just saying, what, that you have a right to be there because you're native? 
We need to resist that stuff. That's what I talk about here on the show. I mean, and I realize that I'm an outlier. I mean, honestly, we're being dictated to by lawyers, by lobbyists and consultants. We're being dictated to by by court ruling. We're looking at their precedents, no matter how how wrong they are, no matter how many times a Ruth Bader Ginsburg or anybody else cites the doctrine of Christian discovery, you're gonna say, well, you know, they ruled against us, so we're, we're bound by that. No, we're not. Look, I went to prison for two years for standing up for something. I didn't cop a plea, and I didn't come out with my tail between my legs either. And then, look, I'm not trying to turn this about me, but sometimes we have to fight. And you know what? Sometimes we lose the, we lose the battle. But we don't lose the war unless we give up. The, every time we concede to them and we say, "Oh yeah, the state, yeah, you 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 get to tell us we can't, yeah, we won't we won't bring tobacco products from one territory to another anymore. We're sorry, we won't do that anymore." Or we say, "Yeah, you fined us one point three million dollars, so now you've you made it, so I can't do that business anymore." No, we've got to fight this stuff. This, this gaming issue. Anybody who's suggesting that the Senecas should go ahead and pay a billion dollars, another billion dollars, to be clear, they've already paid a billion and a half for 14 years for something that wasn't worth crap. But anybody who's saying, well, you know, just pay that billion dollars for the next seven years and we'll work to get rid of that payment um, when we renew the compact in 2023. You know what? You won't do it then either. If you pay this billion dollars now, you're going to still be in the same boat. Oh, no, the state says um, it's got to continue. And you're going to have people telling you, you know what? It's the cost of doing business. We'll just keep paying. the. I mean, this is extortion. We'll just keep paying the governor. We'll just keep paying. We'll, we'll, we'll pay to gain their their sympathy and their, and their, and their goodwill. That's not goodwill. That's extortion. We've got to stop playing this game. We have to draw. And look, you know, is is there a chance that that they're going to uh, play hardball with us and 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 make our lives miserable? If you're not willing to to be in the struggle, if you can't do the time, don't do the crime, right? If you can't if you can't step up and fight the state, then you know what? What the hell are you doing on native territory in the first place? What are you what are you trying to operate a business for, whether it's a casino or you know or, or or whatever? I mean, the Shinnecock can't put a freaking sign on their territory because the white people and, and the governing structures that are that are bought and paid for by those white people are saying, oh no, you can't do that. Well, we'll see how that plays out. I mean, hopefully the Shinnecock prevail. Look, it happens. The Yakima prevailed. But we have to stand up to this stuff. Because every time we concede, we give them another bullet to you to shoot us shoot back at us every time we give in to them they establish another precedent that they're gonna that they're gonna look at time and time again i mean it is absurd to me that the oneidas twice now in 1985 and in 2005 had a federal court cite the doctrine of christian discovery since when the hell does the doctrine of christian discovery uh, you know how could that even have weight against the Haudenosaunee? We we have language in it, supposedly George Washington's people said, "Oh no, we recognize your land is yours, and we will never claim the same. Nor will we disturb you in, in the free use and enjoyment of your land." That's George Washington, seventeen ninety four. Thirty years later, a judge 
in the, on the Supreme Court says, well, you know, natives can't really own property. And you know what? When we discovered them, it's the same thing as conquering them. I know it's it's it's, it's an extravagant pretension to suggest that discovery of an inhabited land and conquest of that land are the same thing. But you know what? If we say it and we can get and we can get away with it, we can make it a matter of law that can't be questioned. Even though they've talked out of two sides of their face. You know one thing I want to go back to on the arbitration panel? You know, the the history of native people being dragged into courts. The courts have ruled, ruled consistently that if there's ambiguity in a law or in in uh, in a regulation that ambiguity if if native people sat at the table in a treaty or, or or whatever else if there's ambiguity in any of that language the courts have held consistently we've got to we've got to consider and and wait the the native version we have to consider how the native people interpreted the language there's no question how the seneca has interpreted the language of the compact but those white guys on uh, on that arbitration panel they didn't say you know what? There's ambiguity here. We've got to we've got to rule rule with the Senecas. They said there's ambiguity here, and you know what? Shame on the Senecas for not being sophisticated enough to um. This is literally what was said. Shame on the Senecas for not being sophisticated enough to eliminate any ambiguity in a, in a sunset clause. They blamed the Senecas. They didn't blame the the state. They, oh oh they, oh they, they just made a mistake. But shame on those Senecas. Those damn Senecas should have known better. They've got they got they're not. They aren't um, at a disadvantage anymore. They they've got millions of dollars to spend on lawyers. Look, it isn't about whether we have the money for, to pay for lawyers, and it isn't about whether we have a command of the English language. What it's about is systemic racism. That's what exists in these federal courts. That's what exists in an arbitration uh, uh, panel. That's what exists in the New York State Legislature. It exists in the governor's mansion. It exists in the tax department. It exists in, in every judge and lawyer, even the lawyers who represent us. Even the lawyers who represent us harbor this sense, ah, you know, we're going to lose. We're the inferior ones here. I mean, our own lawyers tell us this. Ah, you know, it's it's a rigged system. It's 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 against us. You know, we can't really win this way. We We've, we've got to... We just got to pay them. We got to pay the fine. We got to pay the. Uh, we we, we got to give up some of the gaming revenue to to you know to keep the state happy with us, pleased with us. Our own lawyers and consultants are saying this. And you know what? Here's the crazy part. They're even they're even going to be advised. You know what? Maybe we can get a couple of state legislators or federal legislators to uh, you know to weigh in a little bit on this thing. But you know what? We'll. We can only do that if we contribute to the campaigns. So we're gonna let's let's pay Tom Reed. Let's 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 pay um, uh, Collins. What's a what's a Collins first name? Um, no, no, the um, the guy who busted for uh, who, who's probably going to jail for the the, the medical fraud there. Uh, anyway, uh, the, the the other. Uh, <laughs> the, the the other congressmen in the area let's let's we'll, we'll, we'll pay them why because well they're republicans and we can use them against chris collins that's what it is yeah yeah we'll we'll, we'll pay chris collins we'll pay tom reed we'll give money to their, to their campaigns give me a freaking break 
Or maybe we'll pay some Democrats too that'll that'll just try to put a bug in the in the governor's ear. You're not going to change anything. You know what? One of the pro- most prominent state senators out here in Western New York is Tim Kennedy. Tim Kennedy is one of those senators that signed the letter that I helped draft that that called on the on the on the Cuomo administration to clearly state what is the um, what is the uh, the state's policy on native the native trade. And you know they still never answered that. I mean, they answer in a way by by prosecuting, by fining, by seizing product, but they won't come right out and say, "Here is the state's policy on native trade, on native brands." On you know why? Because the state still still harbors this sense that they have the right to tax us on our territory, and you, you know what they, the the position is? Well, we get the t- if they sell something to one of our people. Or a white person, a non a non native person. I mean, it doesn't matter if we sell something to somebody who lives in Pennsylvania. The state says, no, we have a right to tax that. I mean, this is where racism is systemic. And and so because it's in the system, because it's in the legislatures of the state, and this is on the Canadian side as well, it emboldens the racist attitude of the individual. Look, we got people all over Western New York saying, oh, those freaking Senecas, why, why don't they just pay? They owe it. They don't, they don't even know what they're talking about, but they say it anyway. And you know what? And, and I could spend more time on this thing, but that same systemic racism plays out in the newspapers. You saw how the, how the I mean, the Buffalo News literally called the Senecas cheats, said they were chiseling New Yorkers. And that they were were not as good as their word, you know. And of course, media that we we end up with this, these mascot issues. We end up with the you know with the, not only the sexualization of Native women that leads to missing and murdered Indigenous women, but we have complete apathy based on racism, systemic racism. Uh, you know, every time I hear somebody says, "Oh, we we need more laws to protect Native people," no, you don't. White people can can enforce laws against white people. They just choose not to. We'll enforce it against black people, people of color. 70% of the violence against Native people is perpetrated by by white people. By white people. 70%, maybe even 80%. But they're not prosecuted. That's And why? Oh, they don't want... Look, we got, we got issues in the cities to deal with. We don't need to deal with uh, a few Native people who turn up missing. It's a few native people in the total numbers as far as they're concerned, but as a percentage of our population or the, as a percentage of a population, the amount of native people who are killed by cop are more than, more than black people as a percentage of our population. The amount of native women who turn up missing or murdered and get qualified as, as suicide is higher against native, with native women. Than, than any other group as a percentage of our population. But it's not just the Native women. Like I said, our Native men, our Native boys. And if there's a disproportionate impact that you can clearly line up with race, it's because of racism. Now, look, if somebody gets offended because I throw that word out there, that's too damn bad. This is what we face with the Interior Department, the Bureau of Indian Affairs, the governor of the state of New York, the president of the United States, every one of these legislators, where the hell's Tim Kennedy? Why did Tim Kennedy never ask the governor? You know, I never got an answer to that letter. No, he's too busy, too busy sucking up to him. And Tom Reed, the, these, 
and Chris Collins, these guys who support the the, the most racist uh, uh, jackoff that's ever been uh, in the White House, we're gonna we want to offer them money for their campaigns to do their what should be their job. You know what, Chris Collins and Tom Reed, your the your constituency is impacted by a billion dollars got sucked out of Western New York. To go to Albany, they didn't come back. A billion and a half went to Albany, and only about uh, half a billion came back. And over the next seven years, it'll be another billion dollars that goes to Albany, and maybe you know a couple hundred million will come back. Nobody, nobody's talking about that. Where, Buffalo News, where's your, where's your story on that? As your, you know, you, oh yeah, you'll go after uh, whether the Cuomo's Buffalo billion is real. You know what? The, I'll tell you about a real billion. A real billion is the billion that the that left the Buffalo region through Seneca Gaming to to land in Albany. Racism is just is not just in the hearts of individuals. It's built in. It's built into the Constitution, state and federal. It's built into every judge, every lawyer, every cop, every legislator. And there's a part of it that harbors in the heart of every white person. Am I saying everybody's racist? No, but you all benefit from from white privilege, don't you? All right, that's it for me here today. Um, look, we'll be back here on Tuesday. We've got a couple of interesting shows coming up. I'm, I'm, I've got a few things that are that we got in the hopper, and we and we do a new video that's going to be coming out next week um, about Ruth Bader Ginsburg, RBG on the DOD, Ruth Bader Ginsburg on the Doctrine of Discovery. Yeah, so look for look for that as we go forward. This is John Kane. This is Let's Talk Native. We'll see you in a few days. Thank you.